hello everyone. Um, uh, welcome to uh, the National's Temporary Theatre. Uh, I'm Mark Shenton, a theatre critic for The Stage, uh, um, for whom I write a daily blog um, and other publications. Today I'm delighted to introduce David Henry Huang, um, or, uh, Tony-winning playwright, um, best known for M. Butterfly, whose 2008 comedy uh, Yellow Face is now playing in the space um, and in fact opens up to the press tomorrow. You just arrived fr fresh off a plane, or not so fresh off a plane today from New York. Right. Um, so you haven't seen, seen it here in the space yet? No, I saw it at the Park Theatre last year and really enjoyed the production and so I felt quite confident that uh, it would be more or less the same show. Um, and uh, then I could have seen it tonight, but it's like tomorrow's press night, so what am I going to say? So I'm coming tomorrow. Yeah, right, right. And rather marvelously, you're going to see another show tonight instead. Well, you know, it just seemed part of the whole meta atmosphere of this experience that I should go see Miss Saigon tonight. That <laughs> <laughs> I'm paying for my tickets. <laughs> Right, and of course, it's Miss Saigon that informs this play, very much so, because um, when Miss Saigon famously went to Broadway, uh, uh, the producer, Karen McIntosh, wanted to want Jonathan Price to recreate his performance. There was a whole controversy um, that he ended up cancelling the show uh, and then uh, reinstating it after Equity backed down and said they could bring um, uh, Jonathan Price after all. So, uh, and those controversies continue today. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of those in a minute. Um, but your own role in that, obviously you're at this point a, a public figure because three years earlier, you and Butterfly had opened on Broadway. How did you end up in the, in the Saigon controversy? Um, I mean, it's pretty much the way it's depicted in Yellowface. Um, but to sort of briefly recap, uh, the actor B.D. Wong initially contacted me who had uh, originated the part of Sung Lee Ling, uh, the Chinese transvestite in M. Butterfly on Broadway. Um, and I uh, had heard that uh, Miss Saigon had been done in London with Jonathan Price with his eyes taped up and all that. And I was like, ah, that's never going to happen here. Um, and when it was announced that Price was coming over, I, uh, I sort of joined this protest and I wrote a letter to American Actors' Equity, um, which then, um, and then all hell broke loose. And um, it turned into a big kind of culture wars incident. Um, which was kind of intense. I mean, it only really lasted about two weeks, but it was a pretty intense two weeks. Um, and at the end of it, um, the uh, Price was allowed to do the role on Broadway. Uh, without taping his eyes. Without, yes, he, the, the concession was he didn't tape his eyes. Um, and um, I came away from the instant feeling um, kind of confused and a little frightened because I I saw how quickly it kind of degenerated into um, a, a kind of media smackdown, you know, who was going to win, who was going to lose. And everybody went to sort of their respective ideological corners and put up their walls, and there was really no opportunity for a, a nuanced discussion over what is actually kind of interesting and complicated. What does it mean to play another race? What does it mean to play one's own race? What is the meaning of race? Um, so th then I spent the next 15 years trying to figure out how to write a play about this. Right. <laughs> Although you, you did write initially fa face value in, to, in 1993. Right, well I count that as part of the 15, oh, 15 years. years. Yeah, oh, right. I, yes. <laughs> yeah, I wrote a play called Face Value, which was my immediate re response to uh, that in which a, um, uh, two Asian-American protesters go in whiteface uh, to protest the opening night of a musical in which a Caucasian actor is playing an Asian. Um, and that was sort of a, I tried to write it as kind of like an Orton-esque farce, yeah. um, which are 
by the way, really hard to write. And so um, I couldn't fix it in time. Uh, it was supposed to go to Broadway, closed in previews. And uh, then I spent you know, the next, uh, whatever, 12 years trying right. to figure out how to deal with the subject. I mean, that must have been a completely devastating experience, closing in previews. Uh, it's young... not pleasant. Um, it, you know, on the other hand, I felt like I just had a big hit. So um, it's not altogether surprising when your next one doesn't do as well. Yeah. Uh, this one did spectacularly badly. Yes. Uh, but, you know, it's part of the circle of life, I guess. But what's, what I think is rather marvelous is that this, this whole Saigon controversy spawned not one play, but two plays for you. Um, I, it, it's clearly, you draw a lot on, on your own life. I and mean, this is very autobiographical. Right. Um, but to the point, how many people actually here have seen uh, Yellow Face? Great. And by the way, I feel like I have my phone in here, and that's probably what's making some noise on this. So I should turn it off. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah, so quite a few of you have seen it, because we don't want to give away exactly what happens in it. But it, it is very... Uh, meta, really, isn't it? It's, it there's, there's a blind between um, what actually is truthful and what isn't. Well, I mean, I was trying all this time to write a comedy of mistaken racial identity. So first I tried it as an Orton-esque farce, and that didn't work. Um, and then I think the whole idea of the, the, um, the mockumentary started to become more popular. Um, so I love Spinal Tap, Spinal Tap uh, the Larry David show, um, those sorts of things. And then, starting around 2000, there were various Asian American filmmakers who, start, who uh, put me in their movies playing myself. Like, there's a movie you can find on the web called Asian Pride Porn, uh, where I play myself um, hawking politically correct Asian porn. And so I started thinking, hey, you know, I could do that. Um, and the idea of creating a mockumentary in which there would be a character with my name on it um, seemed to me to be another approach to making a comedy of mistaken racial identity. Right. Um, and so you, you then poured that into, into the making of, of, the, of this play. Right. So then this play, a face, that, uh, what is this play called? A, a yellow, yellow face. face. <laughs> draws, draws on its antecedent face value by incorporating the flop of face value into the telling of the story in yellow face. So there's all sorts of, I hope, fun meta things that happen. Very Pirandellian, isn't it? I guess so, yeah. A lot of people have, have said, yeah. yeah. Um, of, of course, so, and a lot of this is based on fact. I mean, the fact that you did go to Boston on an out-of-town tryout right. in, at the Colonial. Um, the, but there is a point at which the fact stops and the, and the fiction takes over. Yes. And we don't want to give the, that bit away. I found myself in the interval when I watched this play last night going to check if the actor uh, in, the, in, in Yellow Face is the act, same actor who was in Boston in the run. But, uh, right. Um, it's, it's a temptation. But that's, uh, Although the actor that you, that you, you found on the web is not yes. actually the actor that's playing that part. Exactly. So, there's still a mystery. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's just kind of extraordinary. One of the things I was going to say about that Miss Saigon controversy was, of course, that was pre-Twitter, pre-internet, in fact. Imagine, you said it was a, an explosive um, incident at the time, and it was written up in all the papers and so on, but it was before the internet. Imagine what that would have done now. Yeah, I, mean, I think it would have blown up more quickly. It would have uh, blown up more intently, and uh, many more people would have weighed in yes. uh, than in the sort of old media environment. Uh, but in fact, that, this sort of incident uh, does come up fairly regularly nowadays uh, in the internet age. And uh, you know, most recently, that we have the, we have the Council Colbert situation. Uh, there was the Katy Perry controversy. There's a few happening in this country. Um, yeah, we had the RSC here, the orphan. Right. Of, of and there's the Zhao controversy. Yeah. And um, 
and now the Jeremy Clarkson thing. And so, um, and this is all happening within the, the yeah. sort of Twitterverse um, world that we live in. Yeah. Um, just to, to focus a, a little bit on that orphan of, of Zhao, Zhao. Zhao uh, controversy, controversy. This was an RSC production where um, out of the entire company, it was an Asian play, and out of the entire company, three actors alone were, were, were of Asian origin. Mm -hmm. um, and one of them played a dog, and one of them played a, a puppet dog, and one of them played a maid. Two of them dogs, one of them maid. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, of course, the context was that, that this was a company show, so they were cross-cast again across other for productions, but in nevertheless, it was significant that they have doing an Asian play with with, with only uh, with, with right. Money. I mean, I would argue that um, to say that it's a, a company and therefore uh, whoever you cast has to be in the two other shows. Yes. Um, then suggests that so it's okay for white actors play Asians, but it's not okay for Asian actors to do Brack yeah, or absolutely, something. Yeah. Or at least you, I mean, I understand that sometimes you need to have a mixed company in order to do yes. uh, a, a series of plays, but then at least if you're going to do um, The Orphan of Zhao, uh, you know, put some of your Asian actors in lead roles as yes. opposed to having them be the dogs and the maids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guess the, the other issue is that, that they actually put the RSC and indeed British theatre generally underrepresents Asian actors anyway. Well, I think that is the, the employment issue is, I think, a way to be consistent about this. Because once you get into aesthetics, and, uh, and aesthetics are worth debating, but you can have all sorts of, you know, there's all sorts of, I think, valid views. Um, I don't know what the statistics are in Britain, but in New York, 80% um, of the actors that are cast on Broadway and in the major regional theaters are Caucasian. So I think that in any industry, this would be considered a bad diversity figure. Yes. Um, so even if you put aside the sort of social justice implications, um, it's just a bad business model. It means that you know, you're drawing your audience and your performers from an increasingly shrinking portion of the demographic. Yeah. Um, and uh, so you, know, you run the risk of becoming the American Republican Party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very limited um, yeah. view. Yes, absolutely. Um, Let's, let's rewind to where you started from, and we'll come, bring up, come up to, to Yellowface. But you, 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 you're from L.A., not much theatre in L.A. How do you become a playwright from, from there? <laughs> yeah, it's a little strange. Um, I, went, I went to college in the San Francisco Bay Area, and uh, as a freshman, we went up to, Okay, I went to Stanford, because I knew there's Stanford quite, people quite here, right? Okay, here. so sorry. I went to Stanford, uh, which I loved. It's a great school. And um, the... Um, we, freshman year, we went up and saw shows um, in San Francisco, uh, I think at American Conservatory Theater. And I remember seeing uh, a production of The Winter's Tale and um, uh, Thornton Wilder's The Matchmaker. And I started to think, oh, maybe I can do that. So I started trying to write plays in my spare time. And I found a professor who was willing to take a look at them. Um, and he told me they were really bad, which they were, uh, and that my problem was that I wanted to write plays, but I didn't actually know anything about the theater. Um, but this same professor turned out to be a great guy, and he helped me design a playwriting major in a school that um, actually to, to this day still doesn't have one. Um, and I basically saw as many plays and read as many plays as I could over the next few years. Um, my senior year, I wrote a play to be done in my dorm um, called FOB, or Fresh Off the Boat. And through a variety of fortuitous circumstances, 14 months later, it opened off-Broadway at the Public Theater in New York, produced by Joseph Papp, and then I started to have a career. That's a pretty big deal, to, to be picked up by one of the leading theaters in New York, the theater that originated a chorus line and, 
um, yeah, many other Joe, shows. Joe invented Shakespeare in the Park, and yes. I mean, he was sort of prob arguably the major American theatrical producer the last half of the 20th century. Um, and uh, yes, it was a, a huge boon, and I feel very lucky. And part of the reason that uh, Joe did my show was uh, because a year prior to my arriving on the scene, the public had done a play called New Jerusalem by Len Jenkins, in which a Caucasian actor was cast in an Asian role. And this led to protests by the Asian actors of that day. Uh, and Joe being who he was, he was you know, very progressive and very interested in trying to create a theater that looked like New York. Uh, Joe invited the protesters into his office and ended, ended up hiring one of them onto his staff with a brief to find shows for Asian actors. And so it was about that time that my play came across his desk. So I always consider myself a beneficiary of affirmative action, because that's really what that's about. There was a slot that was created for someone like me, and I was the guy who got to walk through the door. And so yeah, yeah. I'm, you know. And it's all in the timing. Yeah. Theatre's all in the yeah. timing, isn't yep. it? Yeah. And that the public became your theatre home. They did the next three plays, I think you Right, they did, um, yes. So they did four plays of mine, and then we did um, Butterfly uh, commercially. And they've sub they subsequently did two more plays. You know, post Joe, yes, yes. Um, Yellowface being one of them, right? Yes, because right. So, so the public is very much your one of your one of your. Yeah, homes. I've always tended to think of the public as my theatrical home in New York. Although more recently, I've done a number of shows at Signature. Indeed, you've you've just closed your latest play there, yeah. Kung Fu, which is um, going to uh, come back, isn't it? You said. Yeah, we are going to uh, Kung Fu is a show about a, a show about Bruce Lee, and we have uh, I think successfully managed in that production to kind of mash martial arts and theater. Um, and now that we know the form, I feel that there's more we can do with the script. So we're going to take it to a couple more theaters and then hopefully bring it back to Broadway. And you just had a season, in fact, at, at Signature. Yeah, Signature is a, a theater that was founded on the idea that they do a whole season, uh, the, uh, the uh, entire season of the work of one author. So um, you know they've done a Sam Shepard season and uh, uh, Arthur Miller and Albee and Fugard and Lanford Wilson and yeah. Lanford and um, so they uh, just finished a season of my work um, and we did revivals of The Dance on the Railroad which was an early play of mine at the public uh, Golden Child which was recently done here in London um, and then a new play um, Kung Fu. Uh, you, know, you just mentioned Golden Child. That was done at, uh, at the diorama. diorama yeah. Um, but in fact, hard. very very few of your plays have actually crossed the Atlantic so far. Yeah. I mean, you know, M. Butterfly was obviously done here um, now more than 20 years ago. Uh, and then I started to feel like, oh, you know, I, just, I guess I'm just not going to have much work done in London. Um, and I wasn't quite sure how to get more, um, more stuff done here. Uh, and, and things have, um, for me, improved quite a bit. I've been thrilled to have, I, I had gotten to the point where I thought, you know, I'm just never going to have a play done at the National. Um, and so it's come in through this very interesting and unusual way. Yes. Um, and um, yeah, and I think we will be doing Chinglish here. And so. Chinglish is the most recent Broadway play you did, yeah. isn't it? Yes. Um, so, um, so, so you, you, I mean, obviously, we've we should talk about M. Butterfly, actually, because that is your biggest, mm -hmm. still biggest yes. hit. Um, and famously launched, launched as a commercial production on Broadway. That, it's very rare for a brand new play to launch as a commercial production on Broadway. And also directed by the legendary John Dexter. Mm -hmm. um, how did that production come about? How did you get a play on Broadway? Um, 
I was, uh, so I was at a cocktail party and somebody said, oh, have you heard the story about the French diplomat who had a 20-year affair with a Chinese actress who turned out to be A, a spy, and B, a man in drag? And the diplomat claimed that he never knew the true gender of his lover. So I thought, oh, you know, that's really interesting. Um, and at the time, I was working with a producer named Stuart Ostro, um, who had only done musicals. Yeah. And Stuart was interested, and this was a very, Stuart was, you know, sort of, I mean, he's still around. When he was active as a producer, he was incredibly brave in terms of getting interested in these crazy ideas and, uh, and taking them to Broadway. So his biggest hits are Pippin, which if you think about it, is a strange notion for a musical, and 1776, which is incredibly unconventional, not least of, for many reasons, not least of which is because it's got 20 minutes in the middle no, that has play, no song. Play, yeah. It just turns into a play. Um, so Stuart at the time wanted to do a musical version of Andre Melrose's Man's Fate with uh, me doing the book, Philip Glass doing the music, Hal Prince directing, and Eiko Ishioka designing. This project never happened, although we all ended up working with each other in different ways. Is that what introduced you to Philip? Is that how That's you... what introduced, oh. uh, yes, that was the first time I worked with Philip. Uh, I began, or uh, we started working together. And anyway, so I had this idea uh, for this play about the French diplomat and the Chinese spy, and I thought of it as a musical. So I went to Stuart, and I, I still have these two pages that I wrote him that essentially outline this notion of dovetailing the spy story with the plot of Madame Butterfly. And, um, and then I couldn't really, I'd never done a musical at the time, and I didn't know how, I couldn't find a composer. I was living in LA, I didn't, so I thought, you know, I'm just gonna write it as a play. Um, so I did that, and I sent it to Stuart, thinking, just as a courtesy, thinking he wouldn't want to produce it, and he decided he did. Um, and yeah, it was one of, the, one of the last plays in American theatrical history to be produced strictly commercially. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I never heard the play read, until the first day of rehearsals for the Broadway show. That's incredible. Uh, which is <laughs> they, they didn't workshop it at all. It was no. I mean, I rewrote it a couple times. Yeah. I mean, I did. You know, John and I, Dexter and I, had some discussions, and I did. I think two, two or three drafts before we went to rehearsal, but we never heard it out loud. Right. And John Dexter, of course, was was famous as a sort of theatrical tyrant. Yeah. Uh, how mean was he to you? You know, I have to say, I had a wonderful experience with Dexter. Uh, I know his reputation, and before we hired him. Everybody told me not to work with John Dexter. He hadn't had a hit in a long time. He was supposed to be incredibly cruel to everybody. Um, he was always really nice to me. Uh, and I don't quite know why or what. And I saw him be kind of abusive with other people. Uh, but evidently, he treated me much better than Peter Schaffer. Right, right. Who wrote uh, um, Equus and, 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 and uh, uh, Royal Hunt of the Sun. And, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and M. Butterfly, as we said, came to, to London, came to Charlesbury with, with none other than Tony Hopkins mm -hmm. uh, in the lead. Um, so I, presumably that's what brought you, you came to London with that, yes. did you? Um, that was quite a, quite a bit, I mean, it's also in a musical house. Uh, yeah, was it, now that, I, you know, now that I know more, I'm, I was like, wow, they really put it in a big house. But anyway, at the time I was like, yeah, I'm in London. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and that was a smart, it was a big, big success. Big yeah, success we ran both, a year, it was good. Both, both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah, um, uh, two years on Broadway. Yeah. Um, and has it, it hasn't been a film, has it? It has. It has. Uh, there is a film um, version directed by David Cronenberg with uh, um, Jeremy Irons and John oh, Lennon. Right, right. 
because um, that's another strand of your, I mean, as a writer, you, you, you've crossed lots of genres, haven't mm -hmm. you? You've gone from, um, we spoke about opera, you've done three or four collaborations with Philip Glass, yeah. haven't you? And you've got a new opera, I think you just met, told me earlier, coming to the Opera House as well. Yeah, we're doing a, a piece at Covent Garden uh, based on um, uh, Through the Looking Glass. Uh, but, you know, these things get scheduled so far in advance. So I think it's like 2018 or something. Right, right. And, of course, you've also, you said earlier you hadn't worked in musical theatre. You have since written, yeah. worked in musical theatre a lot. We haven't seen those shows here either, unfortunately. The first was the Disney Aida. Right. I've done two shows for Disney, um, Aida and Tarzan, and then a reworking of the Rodgers and Hammerstein musical Flower Drum Song. Right. And I'm working on a couple uh, musicals now which are, sort of small, those were all big musicals, certainly working on the Disney shows was yeah. huge. Uh, but I'm working on sort of a few kind of more art musicals now, we'll see how those go. Right, right. So working on a, 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 you know, a huge musical is a very different discipline to working on, on a play, presumably. Yeah, and I, you know, I remember when Disney first approached me to do uh, Aida, they had, there had been an earlier version of it uh, in Atlanta. Uh, which With they, a different book writer. Right, which case. they didn't like, so they sort of basically fired everybody except uh, Elton and Tim, Tim Rice. Rice and Bob Crowley. Um, and um, so I came in with the new team, uh, and so they asked me to do it, and I'd never, you know, I'd never done a big musical before, and I was like, oh, is Disney evil? Um, <laughs> and, uh, and then I, I guess I ended up feeling, you know, it's one of these moments in your life where if I don't do this, I'll always wonder what it would have been like. Yes. So I might as well do it. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's good. The Disney musicals have really allowed me a certain amount of uh, financial stability so that I can start doing these plays again. Because Aida was a, was a big success. That um, did very well. And, and, and Tarzan, Tarzan did, did not do well on Broadway. Um, I mean, we ran a year, but that's not good for a Disney musical. Um, although, it's now run about seven years in Germany, which right. is good. <laughs> have you been over to see it? <laughs> I have. I've seen, seen it in yeah. Hamburg, yeah. yeah. And Flower Drum Song, um, that, that wasn't a huge success. Flower Drum Song was uh, sort of a huge success in Los Angeles. And then we brought it to New York, and the New York critics basically didn't like it, sort of no, I mean, there were a few critics that liked it. Basically, people didn't like it. So, um, however, um, it gets licensed a fair amount now, and it's more or less the version that if people want to do flower drum song, that's what they do. That's the one they do now, yeah. yes. Because, of course, that, that, that introduces another whole strand, which is what we were talking about, and this play, this play Yellowface does talk about this a lot, which is cultural appropriation. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, indeed, um, uh, flower drum song was this... Uh, very, very white English uh, American version of, of an Asian culture. Yeah, although I have to say, I mean, if you look at Flower Drum Song, the original Flower Drum Song in the context of its times, okay? Yes. Roger and Hammerstein wrote this in 1958. So they're writing in a period where the Cold War has already begun. Yeah. You're only about, what, uh, 13 years after the incarceration of Japanese Americans in World War II you know, yeah. uh, internment camps. So there's a very kind of anti-Asian feeling in the air, they decide to do this musical that's entirely set within Chinatown um, and based on a novel by a Chinese-American author, C.Y. Lee, and they cast it basically all Asian. I mean, there are a few, uh, Juanita Hall's in it, she's you know, African-American, she's not, yeah. and th you know, there were like one or two parts that were not Asian, but basically they cast it Asian, which is really extraordinary for them to sort of go through that effort. Uh, and I think laudable. And you know, then the, you go on several decades, and then there's things in the musical that are, you know feel kind of funky. And so, um, so it, it tends. So then it starts to need an overhaul. But um, but really, the, a lot of their intentions were pretty amazingly great. 
Absolutely. When you think of, you know, even fairly recently they did a thoroughly modern Millie on Broadway. Yeah. That, that, that had an Asian character that was pure, pure caricature. Yeah. Like, well, played in the West End by Maureen Lipman. <laughs> right. Well, there's a, actually there's a, been a lot of controversy about Millie recently in the States in high schools. Uh, that high schools start to do Millie, and then all of a sudden people are like, hey, wait. Um, and then, so Millie actually has been a pretty active issue over the past year in the States. Right. I'll throw it open to some questions in, 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 in just a second, but let's, let's just bring us straightly up, straight up to date with Yellowface. So um, this is a play, 2007, uh, premiered at The Public. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't expect it to come to London. It's come in, as we said, through the side door. And the, the, one of the great ironies, of course, is this building is currently run by Nick Heitner, who directed Miss Saigon. Yeah. Um, how, how, did, how does this all uh, link in with, with, with your Oh, it just feels stuff. really appropriate to the play. It's one of the, reason, <laughs> one of the reasons we're going to see Miss Saigon tonight. Um, the, I mean, Nick and I shared a, a cab. We, we, we were both having a meeting um, with the composer Marvin Hamlish um, in, in the early 90s. And we shared a cab to the airport. Um, and we started to talk about what ha that happened with Miss Saigon. Um, and you know, at the time, there had been this sort of big uh, press push that there had been a worldwide talent search to find the engineer, and they couldn't find any Asian who was qualified to play the role. Um, and you know, in the car, Nick told me, "Well, actually, you know, we'd never really there'd never really been a, a search, um, and that uh, they were always going to bring Jonathan over because you know he was our friend," which I think was so. Um, truthful and straightforward, and that is how these things get done. I mean, I build these shows. Yeah. You know, you, you, you cast somebody, and then if you're lucky enough to get to go to the next version, you just assume you're going to bring as many of your original people that you can. Um, so I thought that was just kind of lovely of him to just come out and say. And in an early version of the play, um, I, I put Nick as a character into the show saying that. Um, and I wrote him and said, you know, can I have your permission to use this? And he was great. He said, you know, that, that's fine. That's the truth, and you can use it. Um, so we were toying with the idea of restoring that line <laughs> in this version, uh, but I think we're not going to do it. Right. Uh, throw it over some questions. I'll repeat the questions so people can hear, hear them. Anybody want to go first? Here we go. Okay, I just want to make uh, three quick points. The first one is regarding the Royal Shakespeare Company doing the orphan of child um, that we know about the controversy. What people may not be aware is that the production before that one is actually surprise, surprise, set in Japan. It's called Anqing, if I pronounce it correctly. I think it's based on the true story of an Englishman being shipwrecked, I think about in the time of Victorian times, and became adopted by the emperor and became the first English samurai. And surprise, surprise, obviously that has a lot of Japanese uh, actors. Royal Shakespeare Company went to Japan to get the Japanese cast to play Japanese roles. Huh. And that was, you know, be before the uh, Orphan of Child. So their, their reply was, you know, we want to use Jonathan. They can do it if they want to, <laughs> whatever the reason. Yeah. That's not mine. Um, the, the next two quick points um, concerns your mega hit, which is Anne Butterfly. Now, I, I, I read when the first was done here uh, in an interview with uh, The Guardian, you mentioned that one of your reasons for writing it was to expose this, um, I don't know what, what is it, uh, strange ideas Westerners have about the, the, the Chinese people. 
a symbolized like a little bit in, in Madame Butterfly kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and, and this is more or less an expose, hey, you know, you white guys, what, what do you think about? And, and the interesting thing is, every single person I ask after seeing the play, uh, usually white and African and all that, and I say, did you enjoy? And they say, yes. All of them say they enjoy. And I say, you didn't feel uncomfortable watching it? And they said, no, we had a lovely evening. So if that is what you set out to do, every single production of Amber Flat has failed. Everyone had a good time. The last point, very quickly. Um, you use this uh, Madam Butterfly as the context. Uh, well, Madam Butterfly in Chinese culture is as Chinese as fish and chips. Right. Kind of thing. Um, and then of course, if you use a, a, a Japanese designer, surprise, surprise, that person's going to do sliding doors. Sliding doors in, in China is big news to me. So, so that's another mixed sort of metaphor. Uh, ironically, um, had we gone into I must thank you because I didn't know about this spy case and the book that came out probably Lewis and wrote about it. And I was surprised to find that the, the Chinese person acting the female role actually did a famous Chinese story, which might be suitable, and that's the butterfly lovers, the last supper and Chun which you could have used, because that's the story of a young girl who disguised herself as a boy so that she could join the boys to study. And that would make it much more relevant than doing a geisha girl set in China I don't think there was a question as such there. There's a series of observations, but the one question, the, the, one, the, one, the only question that arose for me out of that was the one, the, 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 the provocation that because people enjoyed M. Butterfly and it didn't, uh, it didn't, it didn't threaten in, 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 uh, uh, white Caucasian people, was had the play fail. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose one could argue that um, it, the play would have been more effective if everyone had been uncomfortable not wanting to see it, but then, of course, nobody would have gone to see it. Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's always a, sort of tricky. Um, I just want to, actually, I, I do want to comment on the, the use of Madame Butterfly as opposed to Butterfly Lovers, because um, in some sense, the question that comes out of um, when people hear oh, about the French diplomat and the Chinese spies, how could he not know? How could he not know that his lover was a man? So it seemed to me to be that the, the dramatic question is to figure out what was going on in the Frenchman's head. And therefore, it felt to me that he was, his appropriation or his fantasy life would have been of Madame Butterfly, even though it was a Japanese thing, because you know, everybody conflates them all anyway um, in the West, um, as opposed to uh, Butterfly Lovers, which uh, would make sense uh, perhaps from Sung Li Ling's point of view, but uh, doesn't make sense as a template for a relationship that Gallimard would have, uh, would have wanted. So that's my take on that. Uh, question here. Um, going, going back to Autumn of Zhao, there were you know, three, three plays. It was an ensemble cast, and uh, one was Autumn of Zhao. The other two, very interestingly, were that um, the Chinese actors supposedly couldn't be in, were Boris Godunov, Some of the parts in Zhao would have been perfect mm. for that, and also the fact that you know 
um, Galileo's Bertolt Brecht is not best known for his realism. So there's been, when, when that blew up, there was obviously a lot of um, antagonism, there was a lot of uh, resistance from the establishment about what we were saying, why this was important, and the, the themes that it explored in Yellow Face. Yeah. And I was just wondering, Mark, if you saw yourself in the play Yellow Face at all. A question for me. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it's, 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 it's certainly, it certainly did raise very interesting issues. I mean, I think with the whole question of colorblind casting um, uh, and uh, non-specific cultural casting is, is, a very, is a very live one. Um, there, there, there is no right answer to this. Um, um, I wasn't close enough to the RSC controversy to, I didn't see the show in the end, so um, I, I wasn't to, to, to know the, the details you, you, you specified. Um, but, um, but certainly this theatre has done a great deal in the terms of non-traditional casting, um, uh, the one we're in now, and, and the RSC too. I mean, it's true that, uh, it's very interesting that the RSC had at the time, similar to Orphan of Zhao, they had done an all Asian, uh, South Asian version of um, or Shakespeare play. They had also done a, uh, a black version of Julius Caesar. So they, they had taken on board a lot of non-traditional casting. I mean, I think there is an issue that we probably don't have that bigger talent pool, unlike, unlike you guys, with South Asian actors, possibly. Um, I don't know uh, how many South Asian actors there are in this country, but I'm not sure that they're, 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 if there probably would have been, there should have been enough to cast at least a few roles in that. But, you know, you, you, you said... I, I mean, I feel like it's... I've been doing this for whatever, 30-odd years, and um, there are certainly many more what you guys call East Asian actors in, um, in the States now than there were when I started out. But, um, you know, you still have to make a commitment. To, 30 years ago, I, you know, it was still important for me to, to make this commitment uh, to cast uh, East Asian actors. And if you make the commitment, you will find the, if you build it, they will come. If you make the commitment, yes. you will find the actors. We, you know, with them, Butterfly, we, were, we used to joke with this in the play, that we had to find a Chinese transvestite who could sing and dance, yes. um, you know, and we found lots of those. And, um, <laughs> you know, and, and for Kung Fu, we have to find someone who can play Bruce Lee, um, and we found someone who could do that. Um, so. And the irony is, isn't it, with Miss Saigon, is the irony is that um, having cast on the Bryce, every subsequent actor has been an Asian actor. Yeah, uh, and so. also, I just, I, I, this is a slightly not germane to the question, but there is this whole issue of, okay, so if you're not going to cast Asian actors, and if you, then should you do the show? And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and go, no, you shouldn't do the show. Don't do the Bollywood Pippin. Don't do the Nightingale. <coughs> Don't do my shows. Because if you're going to take this opportunity to sort of appropriate all the really cool things about being Asian and all the screens and the shadow thing, and then you don't actually hire Asian people, just don't even bother. Don't do it. Uh, I have a question. Uh, on your thoughts on, so one of the things I really like about your plays is generally they, they are quite mixed casts in sort of terms of having East Asians and, uh, and white people in them, uh, or not East Asians. I think from an employment point of view, uh, again, if you, get, if you take employment, it allows you to be consistent. 
So from an employment point of view, they're really great because they allow you to increase what, in, what we would, you know, what in our country is the 20%. Um, aesthetically, um, there's a big, it depends on how the piece is. It's like anything else. Like there's the term blind casting that we've been throwing about a little today. Um, and then there's also a term that's come up lately that I kind of like, which is smart casting. <laughs> or you know, or, or, you know, race blindness or smart, race smartness or something. Um, obviously I don't know the term very well. But the idea is that you don't necessarily ignore the ethnicities of the actors, but you try to find interesting ways to use them. Um, for instance, there's a play uh, by uh, Kui Gien uh, called The Inexplicable Redemption of Agent G. And he, uh, there's a character that's basically Kui, sort of like there's a DHH character in Yellowface. Um, and Kui, who's Vietnamese, casts an African-American actor as himself. Um, and then everybody kind of gives the guy flack for it throughout the show, and Kui's character is going, but you know, I feel like I'm black inside. And you know, people call him up. So I mean, it's, it's self-aware in a way that's interesting, yeah. um, as opposed to this kind of sloppy, oh, we just didn't um, find anybody, or we had auditions, but we couldn't find, you know, and usually when they say that, they're lying. Yeah. Uh, over here. Uh, in terms of uh, British East Asian uh, work and stories, um, that is something that should definitely happen. Um, I don't. It's not. I don't quite know how to make that happen because this is, you know, because I don't write those stories and this isn't my country. But um, I would certainly be open to if there's anything I do in terms of helping writers who are working on things or whatever. I, I, that that would be that would be cool. Um, and then, uh, what's the other? Oh, drawing from China. You know, okay. When I first started writing, writing, and you know, in the '80s and stuff, I think as Asian Americans, our position was that we were first and foremost Americans because the particular stereotype that Asian Americans face is this notion of being perpetual foreigners, right? Once forebears can have been in the country for several generations, and people still go, "Oh, you speak really good English," um, <laughs> and so. Um, so, so we didn't really want to be associated with our root cultures. And that has shifted, I think, a lot in the last 20 or 30 years. And this notion of sort of interculturalism, this ability to, uh, to claim and understand all the different influences that make you who you are, uh, it has become, I think, more relevant and germane 
uh, to a world that's become smaller, where there's more travel and, and people live in more than one country. So uh, as a result, I'm sort of very fascinated now by the US-China relationship. Uh, and I think Chinglish is the first play that, uh, that I'm trying to start to grapple with that. There's a question there. That's, yeah. Well, in a literal sense, you do have David Henry Huang in this country right now. But, um, no, I, I mean, how's my Chinese? I, I tend not to like to bifurcate it. I don't like to think of sort of my Chinese part and my American part. I feel like it's one kind of identity. Um, and obviously, it's played a huge role in my career because it's mostly what I write about. Um, and um, that appears, and even at this point, a lot of times I wonder, you know, when I go back to writing an original play, particularly because a lot of the other stuff I work on isn't necessarily Asian, um, why do I keep being attracted to this subject? Uh, but I feel like most writers ultimately do have sort of a patch of soil that yeah. they till, and that's where their, you know, plants, uh, I don't want to extend this analogy yes. too much, <laughs> come from. Um, and that seems to be mine. So it, it seems to be quite central to my kind of creative identity. And uh, again, uh, why there isn't uh, actually a, a, you know, uh, an East Asian, British East Asian writer who's creating work um, is the, sort of like the previous question, and hopefully there will be. I mean, there still haven't been any other, other Broadway playwrights, um, Asian-American playwrights. Uh, I mean, with, with the possible exception of Rajiv Joseph, yes. um, who's half South Asian, who, who's uh, played uh, Bengal Tiger in the Baghdad Zoo, was done about three years ago. But, you know, there aren't that many American playwrights, period, that go yes. to Broadway. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're looking at Broadway, you're looking at a very selective yeah. uh, slice of, of American theatrical activity. Over here. Um, I mean, I guess it depends what, when you say another flower drum song. Where it's something not completely, you know, cast, I mean, you know, we obviously have it in theater here, but I'm saying, you know, talking about something that's actually on TV, whether here or in, in, in the States, um, it just seems like it's one of those things that, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, one could, whether, one could argue that sort of the movie of the Joy Lock Club, for instance, was a pretty mainstream success uh, with an all-Asian cast. Um, and that's a specifically Asian-American story, even though you know, a certain amount of it takes place in China. Um, no, I, you know, there is there's a, an autobiography by a guy named Eddie Huang, who is a sort of celebrity chef in the States called Fresh Off the Boat. Um, and it- Sold the title from you, didn't he? Well, I don't like to think of it that way. <laughs> but, <laughs> But Eddie's great, and he's really fun, and the book's really good. Um, but um, you know, that's now been picked up as a uh, potential uh, television series by ABC. Uh, they've shot the pilot. Any day now, because we're right in the middle of that pilot period, any day now they will decide whether it's going to, be, uh, whether it's going to go to series. So that's a potential uh, game changer. And a last question. Anybody else? Uh, here, I can take this one. Hi. Um, Hi. Beginning. 
too problematic area where what if you just look like the, what other people perceive to be your race in terms of like yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think there's the sort of literal issue of playing one's race and who particularly, um, you know, lots of times um, uh, mixed race actors end up sort of falling between the cracks, as it were, and being perceived as not quite ethnic enough for the ethnic roles and not quite white enough for the, you know, for the white roles. Um, and I know personally that I've wanted to uh, mitigate that to some extent by, um, you know, for me, um, you know, mixed race Asian actors are Asians, um, and um, and Asians look many different ways. Of course, in this play, that leads my character into a fatal error. But in general, uh, I think that's a pretty good principle. Um, but in a more sort of metaphysical, sociological sense, what does it mean to play one's race? And so to what extent do we perform our identities? And certainly someone like me, who's made a career out of this sort of Chinese American material, to what extent do I perform my ethnicity? Um, and I think Yellowface is, is an examination of that. Um, and then the other part, I had something else to say, but I forgot. Okay. <laughs> On that note, I think we have to, we have to bring it to an end. But thank you, David. Uh, the play runs uh, here at the National until the 24th of May. So if you, have, if you haven't seen it, hurry along and book a ticket. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.